Welcome to season four of the Lighting Your Way podcast. This season, we will hear from all types of guests who share their experiences, their insights, and their personal stories. Hi, this is Betty Long. In this episode, I chat with Julie Chandler, owner of London Town Tours in London, England, whom I met during my volunteer stint at the Florence Nightingale Museum. Among other things, you'll hear how her Nightingale-specific walking tour was created, how she has partnered with the Nightingale Museum to enhance visitors' knowledge of Florence Nightingale, and she explains just what the great stink was. Hope you enjoy it. Julie Chandler, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for inviting me to take part, Betty. It's, uh, it's an absolute pleasure. Yeah, it, it's great to hear your voice again. And um, you and I met when I was in London uh, volunteering at the Florence Nightingale Museum back mm-hmm. in September. So we're recording this in November. Um, and you and I connected through the museum yes. because you are a, uh, a tour guide, walking tour guide in London. Yes. Um, with a, your own company, London Town Tours. How did that start? You haven't always been a tour guide, I suspect. No, no, not at all. Um, I had a corporate career for 29 years. I worked for a bank um, and I always knew the day would come when they would get rid of me. You know, because big organizations, they have reorganizations every now and again. And, you know, they make people redundant. And I loved my time working for the bank. I worked for 29 years, loved all the different jobs that I did there, learned a lot, uh, made some great friends, but always knew that one day they would probably get rid of me before I got rid of them. And I started to think, you know, when that day comes, what am I going to do? And I decided that when that day came, I would do something completely different. So while I was still working full time for this bank, I um, trained initially as a City of Westminster tour guide and really, really loved it. Did it kind of a little bit as a hobby, Uh, really loved it so much that I then did another training course, City of London tour guide. And I did that while I was still working full time. And then lo and behold, I was right. Uh, They had a reorganization and I was made redundant. Um, And I was quite happy, actually. (laughs) My boss boss broke the news to me. I think he thought I was going to cry because, you know, he had big box of tissues on the desk. And I was like, not a problem. I know exactly what I'm going to do with my life when I leave. (laughs) So he was, yeah, I kind of took the money and ran, as they say. took the money and ran. Um, And I trained then, uh, I got myself a little part time job in a museum in the Museum of London. And while I was working in the Museum of London part time, I did the sort of, uh, I'm going to say the degree of tour guiding in this country, which is the, the blue badge tourist guiding course. Okay. And I did that because it's an incredibly intensive course. And I did that while I was uh, working part time in the museum. And, you know, what kind of led me to tour guiding was I thought, well, you know, when I do get made redundant, what am I, what am I going to do? What would I like to do? And I kind of sat down and brainstormed with myself at one point And I thought, well, you know, I love history. I love London. 
absolutely love London, can't imagine living anywhere else in the world. And I enjoy walking. And I kind of thought, well, what can you do with that? And the answer basically was tour guide. And that's what steered me towards the tour guiding. Um, so I did the Blue Badge course 2012, uh, two years of what I'm going to call hard slog, really hard work. Um, and yeah, came out the other side. And now I am a self-employed full-time tour guide. So, Julie, what does the blue badge designation mean? Is it kind of a certified, like, you know, the history? Yeah. <laughs> making I mean, it up? Yes, exactly. Yes. Heaven forbid we make it up. Um, <laughs> no. Although we never, although there is a saying, of course, you never let the truth get in the way of a good story. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the blue badge is essentially, it's a very intensive training course. And I don't even know how many blue badge guides there are across the country. Um, but it's kind of like um, it shows that we've we've gone through a professional training course, not just for knowledge, but also for skills, you know, because knowing the knowledge to be able to talk about something is is only half the job. Being able to uh, present yourself, being able to put it, put things in language that people will understand, mm -hmm. being able to safely get a group of 25 across a road. You know, this is all part of the skills you need to learn because, right. you know, it's no good getting people killed while they're on your walking tour. Right. That's very bad, bad for business. Bad for business, right. Yeah. So, you know, the blue badge essentially is this training course and we had lectures two evenings a week. So two evenings a week lectures and every Saturday was what we call practical where we're out on the streets or we're visiting different places to learn about them. And then as part of the training course, you take 10 exams, uh, 10 exams, uh, three of which were written papers and seven which are practical exams. So to qualify you have to give a tour in such places as Westminster Abbey, St Paul's Cathedral, Tower of London, British Museum, National Gallery, all these places to qualify and show that you're of the right standard to actually wear the blue badge. Okay. So it is like taking a degree course um, and it shows that we are trained, qualified, capable, knowledgeable. Um, it's not a lot. A license, because in this country, tour guiding is not a, a regulated industry, okay. um, but it separates you from people who just set themselves up at tour guides and maybe don't have things like the relevant insurance. You know, okay. I have public liability insurance okay. to cover me if there's if there's, God forbid, ever an accident or a problem, okay. uh, you know, which a lot of tour guides, if they if they're not qualified, they, they don't have these kind of things. Uh, right. and, and we're just trained formally. And it's great. There's there's thousands of us across the country where we, we train by area. So I'm a London Blue Badge tour guide. And that qualifies me to guide in London and in what we call the out of town places. So a lot of people come to London on holiday from overseas and they might only be here for a week. But while they're here, yes, they want to do the Tower of London and see Big Ben and the changing right. of the guard at Buckingham Palace. But they also want to go and see Stonehenge or go okay. to Oxford or go to Stratford-upon-Avon, you okay. know, William Shakespeare's hometown. And as a London tour guide, those are perfectly feasible to do as a day trip. Okay. So I'm also qualified to go to many of those places and 
formally guide in places like Stratford-upon-Avon, Oxford, Bath, Stonehenge, Salisbury, Canterbury, okay. uh, so that I can do those day trips as well. Yeah. Who's um, When you say you're not licensed, but who's giving the blue badge designation? Is it the government or? Who? No, no, that, that's a very good question. There's an organization called the Institute of Tourist Guiding. Okay. And the Institute of Tourist Guiding, they uh, set the course curriculums, they set the examination papers, they run the exams, uh, and they award the blue badge once you pass the exams. And okay. the blue badge is owned by them. And we have a code of conduct. So I suppose the Institute of Tourist Guiding, it's, it's our professional body. Okay. There are other professional bodies in the tour guiding world. Um, I'm a member of the Institute of Tourist Guiding because they awarded me my badge. They okay. were my qualification okay. um, body, if you like. But I then am a member of the British Guild of Tourist Guides. Okay. And, and the British Guild of Tourist Guides is an organisation of Blue Badge Tourist Guides across the country who act as... Um, it's not really a trade union. It's more like a trade association. Okay. I'm yeah. going to call it like a trade association, not right. a union, not a okay. trade union, but a trade association. So it's a community where uh, they will pass work to us if they get inquiries. They will pass okay. work. Um, we can go to them for help and support. Um, they will deliver the training courses. Okay. So they'll deliver the training courses uh, on behalf of the Institute of Tourist Guiding. And you 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 become like a family. So if I get a job that I I get asked to do a particular job and maybe it's outside of my area. Right. You know, Betty, when you came over, perhaps if you wanted to go up to Scotland, I'm not qualified to guide in Scotland. Okay. So I could through my contacts at the Guild of Tourist Guides, British Guild of Tourist Guides, I could sort of find you a qualified Scottish oh, blue badge tourist guide. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, we pass work on to each other, which is outside our area uh, of guiding qualification or outside of area of expertise. Well, speaking of area of expertise, that's a great uh, intro to how you and I met, which was to go on the walking tour of Florence Nightingale's London. So, so yes. I'm going to imagine that there aren't too many blue badge guides that have expertise in Florence Nightingale. Am I right? Uh, yes, probably. Uh, <laughs> there will be. Yes, there will be a few who perhaps specialize in medical tours. Okay. Um, and I know you see blue badge tour guides come from all sorts of backgrounds. Um, you know, we have people from all walks of life who have qualified as Blue Badge Tour Guides. So we have solicitors, architects, uh, okay. nurses, doctors, actors, um, people like me who worked in corporate environments, okay. um, you know, and some people who've come straight out of university or this is what they want to do at a very young age. Okay. You know, I came into it as a second career and a lot right. of people do do it as a second career. Yeah. But there's a lot these days who are doing it as a first career, which is really great to get yeah. sort of younger people into the industry as well. You know, that yeah. energy that we need. So, yeah, you know, there are people from all walks of life. So there will be and I know a few what I would call um guides who specialize in medical matters because they've got a medical background or they're just interested in it um, but in terms of actually Florence Nightingale in that sense 
I'm going to put my neck on the line here and say I'm the only blue badge guide who yeah. does Florence Nightingale that I'm aware of as just Florence Nightingale walking yeah. tours. And so so how, did, how did that develop, like the, the, to develop the walking tour? And I mean, let's talk about the tour and then let's talk about the book that you developed during the COVID lockdown. Sure. Well, they kind of link, to be fair, the tour and the book, because okay. um, for the walking tour, I have to go back to 2019. And um, David Green, the director of the Florence Nightingale Museum, I knew him through uh, something else. Uh, and he knew me as a tour guide. And in 2019, he approached me and said, well, Florence Nightingale's 200th anniversary, her bicentenary, is in 2020. Oh, okay. Do you think you could create a walking tour in London on Florence Nightingale for her bicentenary in 2020? <sighs> and I've got to be honest, I said no. <laughs> I said, no, I, I don't think so, Dave. I don't think there'll be enough, enough things, enough places, enough stops that are close enough together. Okay. And David being David sort of looked at me and said, well, could you have a look at it and just see? And if you can't, you can't. Okay. Um, and at that point, I, I knew Florence Nightingale as the lady with the lamp from the Crimean War, which is how most people know her. Right, right. Didn't really know much else, to be perfectly honest. Okay. And I started having a look and delving into her life. And actually, I could find a lot of connections in London to do with Florence <laughs> Nightingale. And I was able to pull a walking tour together. So we created this walking tour, or rather I created this walking tour, um, and we were going to run it throughout 2020 for the Bicentenary as part of the museum's programme. Okay. And certainly in October 2020, there was supposed to be an international nurses conference in London. Oh. And we were going to run four walking tours a day oh. so that the 4,000 nurses who were coming here from oh. all over the globe, oh. if they wanted to come on a walking tour, they were going to be able to do so. And I kind of realized that, you know, this was going to really take off. 2020 was going to be a huge year for Florence. So <laughs> I thought, well, I can't do all these walking tours by myself. I just can't do it. So I pulled in another tour guide, a friend of mine, who I knew was interested in Florence Nightingale. She's not a blue badge guide, but my colleague, Debbie Pearson, she's not a blue badge, but she is a City of Westminster and a City of London tour guide. Okay. Um, and I pulled her in uh, and said, you know, do you want, do you fancy doing these with me? Because I think it's going to be too much for one person. And she was like, yeah, great. She jumped at the chance. Okay. And then, of course, the pandemic hit. <laughs> I knew where we didn't this was do going. That. We didn't do any of that at all. Uh, um, yeah, not at all. So that's how it kind of started. And then as soon as we could in the pandemic, we, when we were allowed out after the lockdown and you were allowed, we had in this country something when we were first allowed out, we had something called the rule of six. Okay. And the rule of six meant you could only meet in a group of six people outdoors for a walk. Oh. And that's when we were starting to ease the initial really severe lockdown restrictions. Okay. You couldn't meet indoors, you could meet outdoors, but only a maximum of six people together. Mm. Um, and it was to stop there being big crowds. So we started doing the walking tours in the mid-late summer, late summer, thing, I think, really, of 2020, um, you know, me and five people <laughs> to, <laughs> to be able to comply with the legal requirement of rule of six um, wow. and you'll you'll love this because at the time you also had to have um, a two meter distance 
you know, we had to keep your safe distance from people. So even if you were outdoors, you could be outdoors with other people, but you had to keep a distance, a particular distance. So Debbie and I one day, prior to starting the first walks when we were allowed out, um, we went out and we walked the route of the Florence Nightingale's London walking tour with a tape measure. Okay. And some counters from a board game. And at every stop along the route, we put counters down and measured the distance to work out if where we were planning to stop, we could safely have six people who were wow. far enough apart wow. but would fit in the space and on the pavement. Wow. Um, we must we must have looked so peculiar to other people <laughs> that day because we had a tape measure in these counters I think the counters were from Cluedo or something I can't remember (laughs) and we were just putting them on the ground and measuring with a tape measure yeah we can get oh we can't get six people in this on this street corner we'll have to find somewhere else to stand you know we were doing that kind of it was just hilarious we had a lot of fun tried to work it out yeah so so the the result of that of that exercise I guess and also was the book right Florence Nightingale's London Well, it was because we'd started doing um, some of these walks when we were initially allowed out late summer 2020. And then, of course, things went horribly wrong again and we were all locked indoors again. We had another severe lockdown in the winter of 2020 to 2021. And at that point, uh, Debbie and I had a chat one day, a little video chat. um, And it was actually Debbie's idea. She said, well, you know, why don't we try writing a book? And I must admit, me, ever the pessimist, I sort of said, oh, really? Do you think we've got enough material for a book? Oh, Um, Julie, famous last words. I know. (laughs) Um, And so we we started having a look um, and we did have enough material and we started doing our research. We split things in two. We decided who was doing what. And by the time we'd kind of almost finished, we had over 175 locations wow. in London wow. in London Yikes. connected to Florence Nightingale oh my God. of which of which we put just over 100 in the book wow uh, and that's mainly because some of them were a little bit tenuous uh, I've got to be honest and some we sort of thought weren't really good enough to make the grade um, and being very naive we thought if we write this book and the Florence Nightingale's London book is I always describe it as part guidebook to walking around London and part biography because okay. essentially it's called its proper title is Florence Nightingale's London an A to Z of the lady with the lamp okay so the right. the the places all are in alphabetical order uh, and there's chapters there's an introductory chapter there's some suggested walking routes with maps. Uh, we did a section on Florence in the Crimean War with her going out to the Crimea and the nurses, the th- her original 38 nurses she took with her in 1854. Um, we then decided there were pl- lots of locations in the rest of the UK that although the book was about Florence's London, we felt we couldn't leave them out. Mm-hmm. So, we, so we put in a section on Florence in the UK okay so that we could include places such as her home down her family home in Hampshire Embley Park the other family home in Derbyshire Leehurst and various places in between her going up to her connections with Scotland and Liverpool and all these other places and then we also put ended up putting a chapter in on Florence overseas so that we could bring in 
um, connections overseas. So because we felt we had to put in um, Turkey and Istanbul. Oh, right, you know, Constantinople, right, okay. as it was at the time when she went there in the Crimean War. And we felt we had to put in places such as Australia, where Florence actually sent nurses to Australia and Canada, where they, she sent nurses to Canada and okay. India, where she corresponded with uh, Indian officials for years about health and sanitation. And of course, the, the good old USA as well, because you've got a number of connections to Florence in the USA. So yeah. We included these in a chapter um, and we were very, very fortunate. Uh, we very naively thought we would get a publisher, sort of just like that, you know, at the mm -hmm. drop of a hat, completely forgetting that the world and his wife in lockdown were also writing books. <laughs> uh, so so we, we didn't manage to get a publisher and we decided to self-publish. Okay. Uh, and we were very fortunate because right from the beginning of writing the book, uh, David Green and the Florence Nightingale Museum were incredibly supportive. Okay. David gave us access to the museum's archive. He allowed us to use images from their museum collection without paying for the usage, okay. which saved us a fortune, quite frankly. Um, he, even, he even threw us a launch party um, and introduced us to um, a printer and a designer who do their guidebooks and things oh, like great. that. Oh, that's so great. that we, you know, so we, we were very fortunate and we self-published. And of course, they stock the book, obviously. Of course, of course. As a tour guide, because uh, there's two questions. One, do you have a favorite <laughs> tour that you like to give? And the follow-up is, so as a Londoner, what is your favorite place to go? Oh, gosh. As a tour guide, okay, it's really hard to narrow it down, but I am going to say as a tour guide, my favourite place in London to take people is the Tower of London. Okay. And it's the Tower of London because it's an 11th century castle. Okay. And it's in London. And, you know, when you see the films where you've got knights fighting each other with swords and rescuing damsels in distress and you know all those old robin hood movies okay. you know the tower of london looks as you think a castle should look in the okay. films okay and it's in london and it's got some great history you know it's, it's it's not just the fact that it's a medieval 11th century castle it's it's very famous for henry the eighth and executions and where he had two of his six wives executed um it's got ghost stories it's got other executions it's got torture chambers um and of course it's got the crown jewels you know oh. next year next may we're having a coronation for king charles the third and don't go to the tower of london if you want to see the crown jewels in early may next year because they won't be there they oh. will be waiting for the coronation getting polished and on display when he is crowned in westminster abbey okay next year okay you know so it has the crown jewels and it has the beef eaters the yeoman warders who are the official guardians of the tower of london and so i love the tower of london it's it's a great place to take people and Without wish to cause offence, Betty, but, you know, for you guys, it's much older than your country in that sense. <laughs> no. It's, you know, it's much older than the, I mean, I know America has always been there, so apologies to Indigenous populations. But, you know, in terms of the United States of America, right. it's much older. And uh -huh. people do 
you know, they just go, wow, <laughs> you know, they do. Yeah, significantly um, older than our yeah, country. exactly, exactly. So I love the Tower of London. I love taking people there. It's a great place to take them. It's a lot of fun. It's a fun place to guide as well. It really is. Um, so that's kind of my favorite tourist place, I suppose, where I would take tourists to. Your second question, my own personal favorite place is much, much harder, yeah. much, much harder for me to answer. Um, and I suppose, oh, what would I pick? I think for me personally, I would pick a river cruise down the Thames to Greenwich. Oh, okay. Which is a fabulous thing to do. You know, if you come to London, you walk around and it's very walkable. You ride the red buses, our famous red buses. You might take the underground somewhere, the oldest underground railway in the world, because uh, we did underground railway first before anybody else. <laughs> um, and you you might ride one of our black taxis and they're all very historic and, I, you know, iconic. Um, for me, though, no matter what you do, you should get on a boat in Westminster by the Houses of Parliament and Big Ben and do a boat trip down the Thames to the east of London to Greenwich, which has beautiful architecture, a wonderful park, the Royal Observatory, an old tea clipper, a sailing ship from the 1800s, uh, great shops and restaurants oh it's a fabulous place um okay. and and it's just so picturesque seeing and everybody should see london from the river right right everybody i don't know did you do a river trip when you were yes over? i did i did absolutely yeah. there, everybody there should do things, a river trip there were some things i couldn't get to because of uh, the yeah. queen's death but i did oh, get the, the water tour yeah so speaking of the river thames I, I wanted to ask you, because I think this is really a great, as only uh, England can describe it. There's a, a period, I guess, or, or something called the Great Stink. Yeah. Can you can you um, describe that? Of course I can. Um, <laughs> it, it was 1858. And essentially at that point, we did not have a proper sewer system in London. Okay. No sewer system, as you think of today. So... All our wastewater, so wastewater from drinking, from washing, from cooking, from going to the toilet, from industrial waste, all that wastewater was running down through open sewers in the streets oh. into the River Thames. Okay. Oh, yeah. uh, I mean, for Americans, think of think of wild west towns you know okay, with okay. the horse poo in the streets and all that kind of thing this is 1858 london it's that kind of picture okay so all our wastewater going down through open sewers ending up in the river thames um oh. now the river thames certainly in london is a tidal river so the tide comes in and out twice a day so that takes all the effluence in theory out of london when the tide goes out okay but when the tide turns and the tide comes back in, it brings a lot of it back in <laughs> in 1858. And we're Ooh. just adding to the pollution. And the River Thames in 1858 was absolutely filthy. It was uh, essentially London's toilet. Oh. You know, this is what it was. Okay. Really, really dreadful. And it stank. You know, it literally <laughs> stank. Yeah. Uh, and people were getting very sick because they were, we kept having outbreaks of cholera. 
in London mm. because of the filthy, polluted water. Mm. You know, you were drawing your drinking water from the River Thames mm. and then your wastewater was going back in and you're drawing your drinking water from the oh. Thames. So people are getting sick and the River Thames stank. And 1858, we had one of those long, hot, dry summers oh. uh, and it really did stink completely. And everybody knew there was a problem. They knew the river stank. They didn't realize it was the cause of cholera. OK, oh, although oh. we had lots of cholera outbreaks, people didn't believe in germ theory back then. They okay. believed in the miasma theory, that illnesses were caused by bad smells. Oh. And so because the river Thames stank, they believed it was causing the disease. Well, they were right, but for the wrong reason. Okay, right. <laughs> because they didn't believe in germ theory. And it got to the stage where the politicians in the Houses of Parliament because the Houses of Parliament sits on the banks of the River Thames in central London. Okay. And it got so bad that they were talking of closing down Parliament and moving the members of Parliament, our politicians, out of London because the smell was so bad. Oh. And at that point, when the politicians were being affected, they went to the Commissioner of Works at the time, a gentleman called Joseph Bazalgette, and they asked him to do something about it. And he came up with a scheme to put a proper sewer system under London streets. Okay. Um, and that's what he basically did. He built a sewer system under London streets. And it's very technical and very complicated. So I'll shorten it because it's a long story. I do a whole walking tour on the Great Stink, by the way, if you're ever oh, interested and ever oh, over that's again. A great, okay, perfect. Oh, yeah. Perfect. I do a whole okay. walk, walking tour on the Great Stink. Um, <laughs> And he basically put the sewer system under London streets, digging up all the roads so that instead of the dirty water all going into the Thames, it would come down under the ground through pipes into two huge, great big pipes that sat either, either side of the River Thames. And the water in those great big pipes would go out to the east to pumping stations purifying stations okay. where the waste would be separated from the water, the water would be put back in the Thames and the waste would be taken away and dealt with some other way. Wow. And so he did that and it essentially cleaned up the River Thames. You know, we had fish back in it again. And and after he put the, the sewer system in London, Bazalgette, we never had another outbreak of cholera again. Oh, wow. Wow. Not one. Yeah. And and yet I, I've never heard of this gentleman's name. Basiljet? Well, exactly. Basiljet is a French name. His uh, lineage is from France, but he was British. Um, and for me, he's the greatest Victorian engineer in this country. Victorian being the period of the 1800s when Queen Victoria was on the throne. Yeah. See, there's my tour guide in coming. You always explain you things. Um, <laughs> and uh, he was just wonderful. Um you know, we have a lot of engineers because we did a lot of invention in the 1800s. And most British people, if you ask them, who's the greatest Victorian engineer? They will say Isambard Kingdom Brunel. And he was a great engineer. He built great big sailing ships and he built bridges and he built railways. What I like to call big, sexy stuff okay. is what he built. And poor old Basiljet, what did he do? He built sewers. <laughs> You know, sewers. But for me, he's the greatest Victorian engineer because not only did he clean up the River Thames, he saved thousands of Londoners' lives yeah. because we yeah. never had another outbreak of cholera. 
Yeah, that's pretty impressive, Joy. Yeah, I, yeah, I think so. He's he's my absolute hero. <laughs> Apart from Florence Nightingale, of course. Okay, I was just going to say, <laughs> yeah, come on. So, yeah. Julie, I, I love talking with you. I, I think it's uh, you're a walking encyclopedia. How, how do <laughs> folks coming to London get in touch with you? Um, well, I do have a website, which okay. is www.londontowntours.co.uk uh, or .london. Okay. Uh, and, but if you want... But my website, although it talks about walks, because I do walking tours, I do talks, I give lectures as well. Um, and also, obviously, I do my tourist work. So it's got a, all of that on my website. Um, but I can't list everything on the website. Okay. So through the website, if you were to click on the contact me part, you would uh, be able to email me directly and my email address, my business email address is jchandler at londontowntours.london. So oh. if you, you know, if people emailed, if they didn't see what they wanted on the website, I always say email me because there's far more to it than is on the website and I can give, you know, personal advice as well, that sort of thing. Wonderful. So, yeah. I wish that I could continue to talk with you, but uh, <laughs> our time is up. Um, thank you so much for joining me. Um, my pleasure. My absolute pleasure, Betty. It's just so nice to talk to you again. And it was just wonderful to meet you when you came over to London. It really was. Thank you, Joy. All right. Uh, we're going to sign off. Have a good day. And you. Do you take care. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thank you for joining us this week. You can find the Lighting Your Way podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google, YouTube, Spotify, and Stitcher. If you liked what you heard, tell a friend and leave us a review. You can learn all about Guardian Nurses Healthcare Advocates on our website, guardiannurses.com. So until next time, find some joy in your life, pet all the good doggies and kitties, and remember to tell your people that you love them. Take care.